think a lot of it really comes down to April. You know, I just, I loved her so much. I wanted to fight for her. I loved her so much. I, I knew, you know, and, and at a certain point, you know, you get 10 years into a book or even five years into a book and you think, well, what's the point of compromising now? Hey there, book gang. Today is the final episode of season one. Now, no one tells you when you should close out a season. Trust me, I went to Google to look. The conclusion just boils down to your own instincts and your listeners' habits. I just want to thank you for listening week after week to my show. There are a million things to be grateful for. As I close out my first year anniversary as a book podcaster, I just want to say thank you. Interacting with you and with our books in new ways has been incredibly beneficial, both for my creativity and my reading life. My gratitude also extends to one person in particular that has become a really instrumental part of my business. Larry Hoffer, is my well-read co-host that I introduced to you way back in episode 11. Now, that episode was recorded in November of 2021, and he joined me to share lessons on just what it takes to be a top Goodreads reviewer. That interaction was really born from one of my fan letters that I sent out to him on Goodreads and blossomed into one of those treasured friendships that I've always dreamed of in my book life. If you are a Patreon pal of this show, you know him as my co-host on our fully booked Buzzy New Release podcast show for patrons. And since that time, he has joined me every month to share his reading stack with us, no matter the work hurdles, vacation schedules, travel for work, he is always there for me. His encouragement and continued support to my work is the kind of testimony to the generous person that he is. I just want to thank Larry on the show officially and say how I am forever grateful to not only have a friend, but trusted guide on my reading life. Today, I want to link to a small list of my favorite episodes this year, and you can bet that Larry's episode is on there. I will also include your top 10 favorites in our show notes. I hope these lists can help keep you busy as I take a very small break for myself and for my family. The show will return on September 9th with season two. I will also like to point out that I am reducing our episode schedule to a bi-weekly schedule with a new episode happening every two weeks. This weekly pace as a solo entrepreneur was a little too intense for me to sustain with my book club and my website, which I do a lot of things on the website that I know probably don't make sense in the book world, but it it does keep me very busy. And so I am trying to figure out a good, happy compromise. And I think that a reduced schedule will give me more time to deliver quality episodes that you come to expect and not throwaway episodes, which can happen when I don't have enough energy or time or a particular guest to bring to you. So I want to always deliver the best version of myself, and I think that a bi-weekly schedule is going to yield that. The Patreon community, however, will continue operating just as it always has, even in my month off. So 
Patrons, don't worry. I'm still here for you. I just want to take a little break from the main show. Today, I wanted to share a peek behind the paywall for those of you that haven't joined. And I have chosen one of my very first interviews with Allison Larkin discussing her writing process for the people we keep. And in full disclosure, I realize that the audio on this is not great. You have to remember that I had just gotten my brand new microphone and really didn't know what I was doing at the time. But the quality of the interview and what transpired during that time is why I wanted to bring it back. And if you haven't read this book, what are you doing with your life? I just have to point out that this book has a rating that is incredibly high on Goodreads of almost 4.2 stars. And we all know that is almost an impossible feat for most writers. This was published by Gallery Books in August of 2021. So I'm not cheating because technically this will be a backlist book by next month. And it's a perfect celebration episode to finish out the year. I also couldn't help but pair this with last week's show with Julia Whelan. And I don't know if you know this, but Julia narrates the people we keep. So if you're looking for your next audiobook selection, this is a solid pick. This captivating coming-of-age story, it just really, honestly, pulled at every heartstring as you get to follow one girl's journey towards finding love in her chosen family. Now, our main character, April, has always had a difficult time, so it's not hard for her to pack up her things and leave behind her father. The problem is that she is completely broke, and she has to figure out a way to survive once she's gone. Now, in Ithaca, she finds a job as a waitress and an unexpected support system that can finally bring her the peace she needs. April though, is the kind of person that is unaccustomed to love, and she doesn't know how to accept the peace that she's found. This emotional journey to find April's true family is both compelling and moving. It reminds us that chosen families can be just as good as the real ones. In this character, you will find a very determined voice, but April isn't the only determined woman. In today's interview, you will find out that Allison Larkin is just as determined. She wants her story told, and she will not compromise in any fashion on this story, no matter how long it might take or how many hands it had to pass through. Ultimately, it's why it has become such a beloved story to so many readers. Are you new here? <laughs> what a time to tune in the last episode. Welcome to the Book Gang Podcast. My name is Amy Allen Clark from momadvice.com. Booking is all about those debuts, under the radar book choices, and helping you expand your stack with backlist book selections. You are listening to episode number 41 The People We Keep, an interview with Allison Larkin. There isn't much setup with our Patreon conversation because these are internal, with the assumption you already know all about this book. Allie has since been a listener on the podcast and a continued supporter of my work. She's someone who takes the time to elevate those around her. And in the spirit of women lifting up women, I want to highlight her on today's show. Allison Larkin is a best-selling author of The People We Keep, Stay, 
Why Can't I Be You, and Swimming for Sunlight. Her short fiction has been published in the Somerset Review and Slice and nonfiction in the anthologies I'm Not the Biggest Bitch in This Relationship and Author in Progress. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband Jeremy and joins the show today to talk about her writing process. I'm also releasing my music playlist that I created for this book. For each book club book, I work chapter by chapter to tell their stories through song. This playlist was a fun one because it's set in the 90s, one of my favorite musical decades, and also when I was a high school student, and it celebrates one of my favorite tropes, found family. All of my playlists are meant to be listened to in order, so make sure to turn the shuffle off for the complete book immersion and you can read it chapter by chapter with the songs. If you like the podcast and want to show your love for my show, please consider joining the Patreon. That's where you can get music playlists like this. I need your support to continue funding my work. To join the community, head to patreon.com backslash momadvice. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash momadvice, or check the show notes for a link. If you're looking for another fun way to support the show, I just spent my summer designing a whole new line of bookish shirts for your wardrobe. I put some of our reader favorites on shirts, including book clubbing, the only kind of clubbing I do in my 40s, and audiobooks are books, which of course they are. I'll link to that shop in today's show. Thank you, friends, for listening. I look forward to sharing more in September for season two. Now let's get chatting. Allie, I am so excited to talk to you about your book. Uh, just as a fun fact for the book gang, I know that I convey this to you, but I follow Mary Kubica online, and she was the one that put your book in my path because it was not one that I had encountered before, but then shortly after like seeing her review, you got picked up by Book of the Month, which is huge, and I'm wondering what that looks like for you as an author. Did it help with your book sales and getting more people to review it and see it? and what that experience is like for you. I did find out a little bit before, but not as as far ahead as you'd think. Um, and I don't know, Book of the Month is kind of a little, has some mythology around their practices, so I never know how much to say about it, but I didn't really know very far ahead in advance. It was kind of a last minute win, which was wonderful. Um, and then my book came out a month ahead of time, which was wow. interesting. It came out a month earlier than I was expecting it to for Book of the Month members, and then it had its official debut in August. So. It was exciting and it's been so lovely, especially since I did a little bit of a, a genre switch and a rebranding. It's been amazing to have this moment to connect with readers I wouldn't have met otherwise. And Book of the Month Club has such dedicated readers. So so that's been a lot oh of fun. Oh my gosh. It's been really interesting. So yeah. it and then I'm a Book of the Month Club member. So <laughs> it's, me too. it's great to get to <laughs> <laughs> to see all their picks and I get so excited every month knowing those authors feel like I did. Did you pick your own book? Like were you like, let me just like buy my own book or you 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 ended up getting a different one? I did. did. I love that. I did. I got two books that month instead. You know, I, I wasn't like gonna just pick mine, but I I did pick my own book because I wanted to have that experience of getting oh, it. Oh, I love that. And also just for people that may have missed it when it was there, typically, unless for some reason Book of the Month sells out, you can usually add a book on. So if you might have enjoyed this book so much that you want to get it in a different format or you loved your library book and now you want to get her book, typically you can add that onto a box even if it's not available for that month. 
So there is so much to talk about about this story. And in particular, when I was doing my research about you and writing this book, this has been a very long, heartfelt project that you have been working on. And I would love for you to share about that with our readers, how long this took you. Yeah, I started this book in 2006. I was working on pages for my first book for my writing group that was the next day. And all of a sudden, I just had this idea of April. I was listening to some music and the songs got me thinking about what it was like to be a performing musician and um, just the concept of of what we take with us and what we leave behind when we travel through our lives. And then April appeared and I couldn't stop thinking about her. I couldn't write my pages. I just had this idea of this woman leaving a sweater in a hotel room, which happens, you know, kind of later in the book. And um, so that's where it started. And I just kind of frantically wrote I think it was like five or 6,000 words in one night, which is a lot. That's like a lot of words. That's a lot of volume. Um, it just kind of poured out of me. And then ever since then, it's been this journey to honor this character who came out so completely the way that she was and just needed to be who she is. And I needed to honor that. I couldn't make her something different. So it's been this really long journey. Um, it was a gift to get to spend this much time with a character though. And for me to get to grow and see her from so many different vantage points over the years. Now you credit the rise of the Me Too movement and a broader discussion about the public roles of women as one of the reasons why you were able to keep the character of April more intact in your story. What did you mean by that? Um, when I first started showing April to people in the industry, like I've, I've been, I'm on my fifth literary agent and over the years, a lot of the feedback I would get from April about April was mm-hmm. that she needed to be nicer. And mm-hmm. I've never thought that April wasn't nice. And I also thought that she was so special that I'd rather just keep her for me the way she was than release a watered down version of her out into the world. So I I got to a certain point with this book where I realized I couldn't budge on that. I wasn't going to make her, mm-hmm. I don't know, more polite or well-behaved or whatever that was, but that feedback stopped after me too. And I don't know, it could also have to do with April becoming a more developed character over the years so that the depth of her mm-hmm. makes her heart more apparent, but I don't think so. Um, a lot of the book is the same way that it was from the beginning. And it, you know, parts of the story have deepened and parts of the dynamics and there's a lot of layering of, of things throughout the book. But, um, April has always been April and my journey was to find the people who could appreciate that. Uh, and I do think that, that the Me Too movement just made it unacceptable to talk yeah. about whether or not a woman. That isn't even answer. something I would have thought mm-hmm. of. I just ran across that statement in an interview and it really struck a nerve because, you know, I didn't think that April wasn't a nice girl. And I feel like anyone who is strong willed yeah. or maybe more certain about certain aspects of things may be labeled as difficult or 
unlikable. And so to me, that was really surprising because she's not an unlikable character. We're talking about someone that you love and you want to see loved. I think that more than anything, it's just sometimes I was frustrated with April because she was so lovable and she was being loved and places that she was being loved, she still laughed. And it was hard to see her remove herself in that way and like not have the self-esteem and confidence to, you know, take that love that was given to her. Thank you. Yeah, it was really hard as a writer to hear that because I just felt like I saw her heart so completely. Um, So that was a frustrating thing. I also think that, you know, the Me Too movement brought to light all the things that, all the ways that women have had to um, bend themselves to fit in the world and get the things that they need and and how to navigate men and life and, and perceptions of of yourself. And so I think that a lot of April's path became more understandable, um, you know, to people who, who weren't understanding it. There's always been people who have, have understood what I was trying to do from the beginning. And that's lovely too. Yeah. And so the way that you talk about April, I mean, it's evident even in this conversation that she is a fully fleshed human character that you have shepherded and loved And when it comes to someone who comes in and is editing someone that you feel so protective about, how do you make any type of compromise on who she is when she's so fully defined by you as a writer? Um, The honest answer is that I didn't. I didn't compromise. I kept trying to find the right people. By the time I sold this book, my idea was that I was going to try one more time and then I was either going to keep it for myself or put it out there myself or do something. I wasn't going to compromise on April being April on this story being what I needed it to be. So I think because I had that set in my mind and just the stars lined up correctly, I found the right agent. I found the right editor. And, and then I wasn't Mm -hmm. getting, you know, I was getting feedback and feedback is different from, from criticism or editing, you know, feedback is I'd like to see this here. And then you think about, oh yeah, April could do that. Like we could get, we could get April to add that little bit of depth. Um, But the book was pretty fully realized by the time I sold it. And so, um, and I sold it to the most brilliant editor, Hannah Broughton, who um, just understood what I was doing and had my back. And then, so I feel like the process of working with Hannah was her making sure that the heart that I put into this book was always shining as brightly as it could. And that was lovely. And so so nothing was compromised by the end. I mean, even down to where the commas are because it's very voicey and sometimes April needs a pause in the sentence where maybe there wouldn't be a comma grammatically and, and they helped me do that. So I'm very thankful. I love that. I I think a lot of people maybe don't realize as far as like the back end of a book, I wrote a nonfiction book and I had very little, I felt like very little control in the publishing industry about even down to like details about the cover or the book title or what went inside of those pages. And I was a new writer, so I didn't know that maybe you should just shop around or find someone that is willing to go on that journey with you in what you've, you know, created for 
you know, this book. And I think it speaks to you because you do have to put your heels in on a project and be willing to be patient enough to wait for that magical company or, you know, how random house that's going to take that in and make it their own with along with you instead of trying to take you out of that process. So it's, it's really notable that you did that. Thank you. I mean, I think a lot of it really comes down to April. You know, I just, I loved her so much. I wanted to fight for her. I loved her so much. I, I knew, you know, and, and at a certain point, you know, you get 10 years into a book or even five years into a book and you think, well, what's the point of compromising now, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the process was really helpful. I think it, it helped me grow as a person and a writer, even though, I mean, who, who would start writing a book and think, yeah, 15 years later, maybe something will happen with this, you know, like you don't, you don't design that for yourself, but I'm thankful for the process. And I'm also just thankful that the process brought me to, you know, my editor was, was really, reasonably new at, at gallery when we started and um, just all the time that it took meant that I got to Hannah and I got to gallery and had all that support so that the cover they tried they worked so hard to get a cover that fit the book correctly and I'm so thankful for that and I saw a lot of covers that I loved and the title um, you know, was something that, that they helped me pick out and, and they pulled it from my own words in the book, which was amazing, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I got, and it wasn't that I didn't have control, like the titles I was working with weren't great for the book, you know? And I understood that I knew I was going to have to, to change titles. Um, I just ended up feeling like I was working with them. And I know a lot of times in publishing, you can feel like you're, you're up against something. And it's such a beautiful thing when you feel like everybody is is paddling with the current, you know? Yeah. I, I'm really thankful. I, I really just, I feel like it's a testament to you and also to April as a character that you are willing to like wait for the right people and also that the right people will go along with that story. And I, I don't know if people always realize that. And that's why I wanted you to touch on that because it is a significant thing to have held your ground on that. And, you know, one other thing that I discovered about you is that you had a theater major because, you know, obviously April music is such a big component of her life and she's doing all of these open mic nights and all of these different things. But what I read was that you actually had a hard time being in the spotlight, which was very interesting to me. It was something I talked about with my husband because I was a, I was a big like musical theater nerd and loved doing community theater. Even I was I did it when I was pregnant, so I, I just couldn't oh, wow. quit my uh, theater days. Luckily, they were doing a Christmas Carol where it was all those like high waisted <laughs> empire waist oh, dresses. Um, but I just love theater and you know, I like being in the spotlight. So this was very interesting to me, but I'm wondering if you were able to live a little vicariously through April's open mic nights and what she was able to do on stage because she had such confidence. It's interesting because um, the scene at the beginning of the book is is quite a bit like an open mic night that I actually did, which was interesting. I did have these moments of like extreme bravery where I'd walk in with a guitar by myself. I was always better at doing something when I didn't know anybody there, you know, and, and a lot of the, the thing about being a theater major in a theater program is 
you know the people in the audience, <laughs> you know, um, and I would I would get really self conscious. Um, and uh, but but one of the things I realized being a theater major, watching, um, like watching people who are doing the thing that they were meant to do. You know, I'm assuming you feel a certain amount of rightness on stage, and you can just like lean into it, throw yourself into what you're doing. I couldn't necessarily always do that. I could do that in some moments as a theater major when I was really into a script, when I was really into the moment where I could drown out the people, then I could be very brave. Um, but I would watch some of these brilliant, brilliant performers just throw them, like their whole selves out there, like kind of belly flap into the moment with no hesitation. And I think that I can do that with my writing I can't necessarily do that with performance in front of people. Mm. And so I think that April's performance is parallel to my experience of having a writing moment where I feel like I've left it all on the page at the end, mm. you know? Um, so it was, it was fun to play with that. I don't, um, I don't have the drive to perform. So I don't feel like I, I was getting something out of, Oh, she's brave <laughs> on stage. You know, it's like, just an understanding of what it feels like to give everything of yourself to a moment, mm. I think, I think is, is the thing that a lot of people can understand when we find the thing that we love the most and we feel the most like ourselves, even if it only lasts for a minute. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great moment. Oh, I love it. Um, I just found that so fascinating and also that, you know, I know you took vocal lessons and have some experience with that and also that April inspired you with the guitar. Am I correct in, in saying that? Did you take some guitar lessons or you took them prior to this book? It was kind of cyclical. I've always been fascinated with guitar and folk music and I played guitar. I mean, I took guitar lessons when I was like seven and I had a really hard time with the lesson structure and the teachers. And, you know, um, I tried again several times. Um, you know, one of the things that happens in guitar lessons very frequently is that you are in a small room with a man you don't know very well. And that was a very uncomfortable thing for me as a really shy little kid. Um, and so I kept trying to, I kept trying to do that and not having it work out. And then, um, in college I picked up guitar and played and taught myself quite a bit. And, and I played a little bit over the years when I dropped out of college, I, I did play some open mics. I worked at a bar and they had an open mic downstairs. So every once in a while, my boss would come and be like, go borrow someone's guitar, go downstairs. And I would play, but everyone that was watching was drunk so it was it was a bar Aww. you know it felt like a little safer because um I was playing to people who were already in the middle of their fun night and didn't really matter what I did one way or another um but then I got back into I picked up guitar again when I was writing this book uh when I was writing later drafts of this book I really wanted to make sure I got the details of how it feels mm. to play guitar and decided to take guitar lessons and found the most amazing guitar teacher. And he's so patient and creative. Um, I have attention deficit disorder. And so some of the learning structures in music are frustrating for me. And he is incredible at understanding how I learn and teaching me that way instead of like, you have to learn the theory before you can do this, or you have to read music before you can do that. And 
um, because I did, I studied classical voice for 10 years, which I liked the practice of, um, but I also never really learned how to read music in that whole time. I would just pick up the music really quickly. If someone played something for me, then I could sing it back and I could kind of cheat my way through the sheet music. Yeah, I, yeah, so, I understand um, that. I also, I, I played violin when I was a kid and yeah, but I could never read music vocally and I don't know what it was about that, but I could never harmonize. I could only sp- sing the main part and I had to learn it by ear. And I get where you're saying about having a teacher that's going to adapt to your learning abilities is really key in making that work. Yeah. So it was this great gift. And I feel like April gave it to me because she, you know, writing this book brought me back to music and I really enjoy playing guitar. Um, It's nice also as an adult to learn new things. I think there's an interesting um, brain thing that happens when you do that. And, and it was a good way to feel connected to April and to have that feeling of losing myself in music and which is I also love really it. Now you, you set the story in the nineties and I understand that that was a very strategic move. Why do you think it was essential for April's story to be set in this decade? Um, you know, firstly, I, I wanted to kind of paint with the palette that I had and I was in Ithaca in 1995 and it was such an important time and place for me. I think that moment when, you know, you're on your own a little bit and discover yourself is is always kind of uh, cemented in your mind in an interesting way. So I had a lot of really clear imagery of that time and place and wanted to pay tribute to that. But also I think it was really important for April to not have the technology available to her that we would have now, or even just uh, a couple years after that. You know, if she could have gone to the library and map quested her directions and printed them out and had them, had them in the car, her experience of traveling would have been much different. Um, I also think that back then when we said goodbye to people, we didn't know if we were gonna see them again when we left a place. If you didn't have somebody's address uh, you or their phone number, you wouldn't see them again. Uh, you wouldn't see them on social media. You wouldn't know what they ate for breakfast that morning. Um, but. Also, even when you did collect that information from people, people moved and and left places and you lost track of people. And I, I thought that it was important that April's goodbyes be final, that no help was coming, um, you know, and that she had to have the right change for the payphone if she wanted to talk to somebody. That's a really good point. I've been noticing a lot lately in literature, especially when it comes to thrillers, Thrillers that are set in the 90s are so great because you would have to like find a payphone or, you know, these road trips. I just read Riley Sager's latest book and it was that idea of like being set in the 90s where you're not completely detached from one another, but it does require a lot more effort and having her traveling different places, it would be you know, more happenstance if you like ran across someone again, or, you know, you had to work a little bit harder to renew connection. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that um, really lent itself to being able to tell this story the way that it needed to be told. Yeah. And this story too is about chosen family, which, you know, as someone who had to move around a lot, I was really thankful for a chosen family that took me in when uh, I was a first 
like newly married, we moved to a new town and new state. And I ended up joining a church that those people ended up filling in for my parents and people that we couldn't have around us. And I just feel like chosen family is such a big part of April's story too. And I understand that your chosen family is a little bit of inspiration for why you wanted to create this in your story. Yeah, I think, you know, my friends have become my family in the most amazing ways. And over the years, I've kept in touch with so many of the people who have been important to me. And that's, you know, the, they make up who I am, you know, they're, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that uh, we get to have this you know, collage of people in our lives. It's it's a beautiful thing. I think it's one of the most amazing parts of the human experience is that you can love people that you met by accident, you know, that, that you might never have met if you hadn't been in one place at one time um, and they change your life. And I think I'm, I'm so grateful for the people in my life who've supported me and and loved me. And I'm so grateful for the experience of, of getting to be there for them too. So I wanted to pay tribute to that because I think it's really important. Yeah, it's, you know, I am so grateful for my chosen family. And I think that now that I'm in my 40s, I try to like be the chosen family for someone else. And I could picture me being a person that would want to love on April and and give her all that she needed. And I know like one character in particular really resonated with me, which is Margot, who's offering all of this sage advice to her and tons of wise words about, you know, how to help her. And I heard that, you know, her journey, I guess, and her inspiration really spoke to you too. The the wisdom that she was imparting ended up giving you wisdom in your writing. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, Margo was another character who just kind of sprung into being and had her own way of doing things and her own tone and wisdom. Um, she is very much inspired by older women over the years, you know, who are I'm, I'm probably their age now uh, that they were at the time when I was getting that advice from them. But, um, you know, I, I've benefited so much from women who were older than me taking me under their wing. And uh, when I worked in bars and I worked as a waitress and um, when I was in a writing group with uh, one of my dear friends who passed away while I was writing my third book, you know, she was such an influential part of my life and kind of helping me figure out how to be a person. And so I think Margot wasn't intentionally a tribute to that, but then when I look back on it, I realized that she very much was, that she is is the heart of all of those women. Um, and I needed her, you know, I wrote this book because I needed to live in it. And, and she definitely helped me make sense of some things in my own life, uh, just because I felt like she existed so much as a character that when she was giving April advice or when she had a perspective, it really did feel like it was coming from Margot. And I really am thankful for her. I think everybody should have a Margot who exists in their head to be like, hey, girly. <laughs> I, I really love that. And I and I think what really like sealed the deal from this story for me was just that you ended it on such a hopeful note 
And I'm wondering what you're hoping readers take away at the end of your book. What do you want them to walk away with most? I think the idea that family looks like so many different things and that whatever your family looks like, it's valid if you if you love your people and that we we get to we get to keep our people that we should fight to keep our people and that i think we're all inherently deserving of love Mm -hmm. and if someone is showing us love we have to figure out how to accept it we owe that to ourselves um you know if if it's healthy love obviously uh but i i just i just want people to think about their connections and honor them Mm -hmm. you know the, the good healthy lovely connections that we have in our lives. I think, you know, taking a moment to appreciate those things is is really wonderful. And I, I hope that this book inspires people to do that. Mm-hmm. I love that message. I know that you've probably been asked this before, but I still have to ask it. Are we done with April? Are you thinking about doing a sequel with her new life? Or you feel like the story has been complete? You know, I I had felt like it was okay to leave her there. And then I started having more ideas about, I mean, I've built these characters so well that I could actually give you the rundown of what they're all doing right now. Um, so I'm not going to write anything if it's just gratuitous, gratuitous if it's just like a laundry list mm-hmm. of like, here's what Maddie's up to and here's what Ethan's doing. But um I am continuing to think about them and if there's a story in what's next, which I think there might be, uh, then it's something I'm going to want to write eventually. Are you getting to just sit in the sweetness of this or are you just off to the races again writing? I am off to the races. I did learn with this book that, um, you know, when I have ideas, because I worked on this book, I wrote three books while I was working on this one. And I learned in that process that I can, you know, sometimes the way my brain works, I will just have a very clear idea of a scene with characters. And what I've started doing is just just writing it. If I, if I imagine a character, if I imagine a scene, if something I've experienced in my life gives me that moment of like, well, what would happen if this happened instead? I write that and I collect it and um, I write in Scrivener. So I keep files for each scene and then put them together. And so I have another book that I've been working on since 2018 um, that I'm I'm diving right into. So we'll oh. see what happens. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what else you do. And I just want to say I'm really glad that this book came across my desk. And I'm thankful that you've had so much success with something that you've been thinking about for so long and wanting people to love her. And the reviews are fabulous. I don't know if you spend time on reviews because I know when I talk to some other writers, they don't like to read the reviews, but some people do. And in case you haven't been reading them, the feedback is so excellent and everyone is just loving this book. And I know our book club is loving it too. And I'm really thankful that you spent an afternoon with me so that I could share the inside scoop. Oh, thank you so much, Amy. This is lovely. I'm really thankful that you chose my book and that we get to talk. I really appreciate it.